I'm guessing everyone in here has probably lost someone in some shape, form, or fashion. Yeah? Whether it be to death or whether it be to the ending of a relationship or something like that. You lost another family member. They're off in their addiction. No one knows where they're at. That's, that's all a type of loss, right? But all of which can give us grief, allow us to hurt. Um, whether it's a complete loss or, like I said, someone has disappeared or something like that. Or you had to put your own distance between for their sake and your sake, right? And it hurts. We've lost pets. You know, a lot of people don't think that's the same thing, but I've known some people that have been devastated by the loss of a pet. So one thing with grief that I'd like to make very clear is that there is no comparison. No one's allowed to tell you how much it is you grieve or don't grieve. And over what? Or if it's um, theirs is more severe or not. Because there's no competition in grief. Everyone heard of that book, the, what is it, The Seven Stages of Grief? It's like anger, denial, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, seven stages, yeah. People get upset with me when I say this. That is not a process in which you have to go by. Doesn't mean you won't go by that process. Doesn't mean you think you didn't, and then all of a sudden these other things come up later down the road, because all that's completely possible. But you don't have to evaluate you and yourself according to a famous book. Though there's a lot, a lot, a lot of truth in that book. Sometimes you will get angry. And sometimes you're all seven at the same time. You know, denial is usually the first. It's, you, it's, you're in shock. Right? It's, you, you feel almost numb. And sometimes you feel really bad because you don't think you feel bad enough. And then other people get upset with you because you seem to be doing better than they perceive you should be doing. As some of you in here know, maybe all of you, that my first, I lost my first wife to suicide. And that was in 2019. So all this is pretty fresh for me, too. The reason I say you don't have to go according to those seven stages and that you haven't found healing or whatever because you haven't gone through all the stages, I think is bogus because I did not. Could I pick a handful of them out? Oh, yeah, for sure. And they definitely weren't in any particular order. Right? And I want you to hear this, what I am saying, not what I'm not saying, okay? One thing that I made very clear for myself in the very beginning of uh, the loss of my first wife was that I refused to make her death about me. I refused to let it give me license to live less than, to give me license to do things I know I shouldn't do, to give me license to be in states that I have no business being in. 
that everyone okay with that statement? <clears throat> did I end up in some states that I did not want to be in? Absolutely. Absolutely. The depression to where you feel like you can't get out of bed because your legs literally won't move. I, I've gone through all that. Still happens every now and again. One thing I've noticed about grief in particular is that it comes like a wave. You're standing, you feel like you're doing okay, you're, you're going through your day, and it just rolls you. It just catches you and it rolls you. You're going against the coral, hitting the sandbar, all that kind of stuff. That, and it just hits you. And there's nothing you can do about it. What I found out in the midst of that is that the more you try to do, the longer it lasts. So I got to this place to where I just became okay with letting it happen. Keeping my mind clear as possible during it. You know, this too shall pass. But not letting that wave of emotion coming over me, not giving it the permission to change my disposition, not to, again, to give me a license to treat the people around me poorly because I'm now in a bad mood, because I'm hurting. I, didn't, I couldn't allow myself to hurt other people just because I was hurting. I was very careful about what I said, so sometimes I wouldn't say anything. Again, this has come from years of being just very acutely aware of myself. Right? I know how I operate. I know how I can get. And I know very quickly if I'm heading into those murky waters of no, of no longer thinking or acting acceptably. Right? For my own morality. Within all that, when we lose somebody... Something It could be a job. Some people have so much identity staked up in their career that if they have a sudden job loss, they go through a grieving process. All the same, in my opinion. Again, there's no comparison of severity. In all of those types of scenarios, there's that common phrase of, well, I lost a piece of myself. Right? I feel like that is both true and not true. True in the fact that I have suffered this loss, huge part of my life is now not gone, but completely different. Void. There's no structure within that. All the structure that was within that is now lost. All the um, regular processes of things, how life goes, how it flows, is all completely different now. And for a lot of us, it was suddenly, without warning. Right? I also feel like it's not true because as much as I love my wife, she still did not make me who I am. She added to who I am. But my identity was not lost in her. And especially in marriage relationships... Uh, parent-children relationships, our identities of who we are can be so wrapped up in those that when something happens like that, we do actually lose ourselves. That's why I both agree and disagree, right? 
my standing at the point, there were certain things that I had very rock solid in my life beforehand that helped me through that process, okay? I didn't wait for tragedy to strike before I started grasping at the straws of faith. I was rooted and grounded in faith when it struck. And there's probably nothing at this point in time that I'm more thankful for than that. Because again, I know me, and if I wouldn't have been in that position, I might not be here. And I say that with a lot, a lot of clarity. And so this is for me. I had some things very well understood that I believe fully to my heart, even to this day. One, she was never mine. Okay? Two, according to my theology, God did not come and take her from me. I was not robbed. Okay? I believe he already had, she was already his, and I don't think he came and took her, but I do believe in the fullness that he received to himself what was already his. So I didn't have to go through that mental gymnastics of trying to answer that question, which dealing with people that have gone through grief, because when you're going through something, other people that have gone through similar things start coming out of the woodwork and start telling, it is, telling you what it is they think you should believe. Though they are very well-intentioned. Okay? So... I didn't have to go through that struggle because that is a terrible, 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 terrible struggle. And I think that increases the severity of grief tenfold. Because now you have an existential crisis too, right? That goes all the way down to the foundation of things. Your whole world's rocked when that starts happening. And then we get cold, we get calloused, we develop trust issues. We need help and comfort and all those things, but we're mad at God and rob ourselves of that source of comfort and peace and all that kind of deal, right? Third thing is I understood that I didn't have to understand. I like answers. I really like them. I like to understand as much as I possibly can. Life does not care if you understand. So you have to find yourself in a place of peace when it comes to not having answers. And in those first initial stages, that's, for me at least, that was the most difficult part. Because you're trying so desperately to stop your mind from going to why. Why? Why did this? Why did that? And then you start harming yourself but if I would have, and the what ifs will kill you. They will, I promise. And there's no profit. Going into all the what ifs, there's no, the only profit I could find in the what ifs is if I turn my what ifs into what now. That's the only valuable thing I, I found going down the horrid putrid trail of what if I'll be I'll be completely open with you I know about 50 things I could have done differently 
I know things that I could have said. I know actions I could have taken. And I had more information than anyone else had. But going through, if I would have done this, has no value to me whatsoever. Because there is no going back and doing it again. But all those things that I did not do, you better believe I do now. Was it last weekend or something? Maybe I was talking with you about um, my wife and our communication, my wife now, and why we communicate the way we do is because we both come out of these very terrible places where communication was not a thing that we had available in a lot of ways, okay? So we are very, 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 very serious about our communication. If we perceive something, we talk about it. But we can both take what each other's noticing as a valuable thing and not as an attack. Because she loves me. If she sees something in me that should not be, she's going to tell me because she loves me, not because she's trying to call me out. And the same with her. And we understand we all, we all have emotions. I'll come to her, hey, what's going on? My poor wife, she's a terrible liar. So she can't, she just can't. And um, the first couple times this happened, I said, I'm not letting this rest. I'm, I'm, I'm poking, I'm prodding. I, something's up. And I'm, <laughs> again, I like cancers. I'm not going to rest. So then we ended up even talking about that. And it came to the conclusion, it's okay to tell me that, yes, there is something wrong, but no, I'm not ready to talk about it. Because she likes to be sure she's knowing what she's saying, that she's not speaking out of her emotions. That's very important for her. So I added another stipulation to that. Okay, there is something wrong. You don't want to talk about it. I need one more piece of information. Does it have to do with me? Why do I need that information? So I know how to position myself and I know what kind of support she needs. And I know if it is me, I know there's a process in which I need to now evaluate. I need to start looking at me and I need to be, can go back and look at conversations or scenarios so that I'm already aware. One, I don't want to walk into a bus saw, right? And two... I can already maybe have a grasp and when she finally brings it to me, I can actually already be halfway to the point of like, yeah, maybe you're right. Or say I did something that I didn't think was wrong, but it hurt her. My immediate default is I don't get to determine whether I hurt you or not. You do. You say you hurt my feelings. I don't have the right to tell you that I didn't. These are all things I learned going down that what-if path, but they, they only have any type of value at all if it's going to change what you're going to do now. Now, this is a concept. We have a grieving process when, when leaving our addictions. The difference being we can resurrect them. Everyone understand what I mean by that? 
we can take that thing that we lost our addiction and we can bring it right back. That's why I wanted to talk about that, that wave that hits you because in that wave, all the emotions, all the turmoil that comes from it out of nowhere, all the comfort and peace, and peace you had at the moment, gone. For that moment, wait another moment and you'll start to gain it back. In that moment, whether it be a trigger, whether it be a situation, whether it be the loss of someone, that other wave hits us. And now we're desperate for what? Comfort, peace, validation, affirmation. We know our addictions hurt us, but yet in the same way, in the same breath, we feel safe in them. Right? Think about it. You're, you're, you're letting go of a major part of your life. And that always hurts. There's always grief, whether that, whatever it is you're letting go, whether it was good for you or bad for you. There's, there's no partiality in that. I know people that have left terrible, toxic relationships, and there's still a grieving process because just like I found myself, the whole structure of everything is now different. It feels like a void in the fact that there's nothing yet built, but you do have the materials. We don't look at what we have. We look at what we don't have. Right? And I think we respond the same way emotionally. I'm only considering the things that I don't have. Which makes me desperate to have them. What do we do when we're desperate? Things we ought not do. Right? We're just watching that one where the guy with the shotgun walked into the store and was robbing him because he was addicted to drugs, didn't have any money, and he was desperate. So he did an act of desperation. I think in those split moments when that wave hits us, if you're anything like me in that moment, you feel pretty desperate. It's like if hope were a lamp and you clicked it off for a second and then clicked it back on. Like it seems like it's not there at all. And then you give it a little bit of time and try not to act in it and that dimmer starts to come back on slowly. But there's been times here I've told my story and of course my story is difficult so people want to like come up and give me a hug and all that. There's been a few times where I have to hang on, I got to pee. Really I'm going to the bathroom because that wave has hit me and I'm crying. One thing that I've determined within those moments, that it is not a bad thing. It will, I pro- listen, I promise, it will not kill you. You might feel like that, but it will not. It will roll away and it will lift. The worst thing I could do in those scenarios is act in that moment. My only action was to not do anything and have my moment. And I usually tell someone about my moment too. Usually. I call, I usually call. I have a few people that I call. One being my wife. 
I'm not going to come tell you all that. That's not the proper context, right? But it does happen. And there's times where I just wake up. New day, new life. Things are going great. And here it is. That doesn't mean I'm in some crisis. Doesn't mean I'm in some void. It doesn't even necessarily mean that I'm wanting that person back, so to speak, in the moment. It's just vulnerable sometimes. And sometimes you're just aware. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Like, there's nothing wrong with your feelings. What's wrong is when we act on them. Especially if our feelings are misaligned with what's actually true for the moment. Because remember, truth and facts don't change, but our perception of truth and facts change. And they usually change based on how we feel about them. That's why, you were feeling, that's why sometimes we're feeling a certain way, whether it be angry or whatever, and we act, and then we feel bad after it, about it later. Because the scenario didn't change, what was happening didn't change, but our perception of what happened was happening changed, and we acted through an unclear lens of how we were feeling. And then when everything calms down, we kind of realign a little bit again, and we're like, man, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I think in a huge, huge way, grief is a very, very good thing. Because I think the unspoken side of grief is that it's actually a very, very appreciative thing. I think it's a great sign that this, whoever it is or whatever it is, we had an admiration for. There's a lot of care. There's a lot of love, there's time, there's effort in whatever it was, right? Or whoever. And that grief, we miss them so badly because we love them so greatly. And it's hard to not focus on the pain of the grief. And if we do, we miss the fact that we had such a great love. That's why over time when people begin to heal, you look back and, you, and you're thinking of the memories and you're, you're thinking of the good memories and you're sitting around your family and you're laughing, enjoying the memory. Whether, you know, and then however much time beforehand, that memory was devastating. But now you're looking back and you're so happy and appreciative that you have that memory. Right? And that's another one of those what ifs that's unprofitable. What if I would have loved more? My grief proved to me that I, I loved genuinely and as fully as I was capable of. And it reminds me of that. And I can apply that grief now when I look at my kids. I can apply that grief when I look at my wife. I already know what it is to be appreciative. Because I know what it is to not have the thing that I might not be valuing correctly taken from me. And if we're honest in our grief, that's probably the most painful thing. I feel as if I wasn't grateful enough or I didn't value enough in the time that I had. And that can take us right down the tube into the dumps or, the, or you can say never again. 
never again will I lose my sense of gratitude for this person or that thing or this situation or whatever. But I think that applies to our addictions too. Because sometimes we want to give up. It would be easier to go back. And I can justify myself. And again, I think that's through lens in which I've lost my sense of gratitude. My understanding. I'm, it seems like, okay, it's a good trade because I can use this and I won't have this pain for a period of time. But what you're actually giving up is your peace. What you're actually giving up is your gratitude. It's perspective trading. I went from trying to be fully in the moment, fully alive with the people next to me. And my lens slowly shifts to purely about me. And I cannot be grateful for you if I'm only considering myself. It's one of the hardest lessons of addiction in my experience, my personal experience. Was, or is very simply put, I had to get over myself. And again, there's a death with that. There's a grief with that. I think maybe last weekend or the weekend before I told you one of the most painful things I experienced is when I finally understood how poorly I treated myself. And the life that I have lived according to beliefs that weren't true. And I grieved that. that, old, at that when I realized that, that old man had, had to pass away. He, I couldn't allow him to stay anymore. But it was painful to let that go because it's who I've always been, Right? And now I'm left with that structuralist void of how do I become who I am? And I think that was a grieving process too that I just didn't realize at the time. Now here's a misconception. When in grief, when someone tells you that you have to move on, you don't have to move on. At all. You do have to move forward. And it is your responsibility to heal. It's kind of, it sounds like a harsh statement. It's not about getting over it, but it is about moving forward and healing. And when you have those deep scars, anyone have really deep scars? That tissue... You start to mess with it, it starts to hurt because those scars run deep, right? So there's always a little bit of pain associated with that healing, even when you look back on it in a, in a much better state in the future, right? No matter what you do, there's going to be some pain associated with that. What I have begun to find is that the admiration, the gratitude, the thankfulness slowly begin to take that place. That pain sparks something different for me now than it used to. It used to spark more pain, darkness. I, just, I, I describe grief 
and something that I wrote as being in a room full of people that can't see nor hear you. Yelling at them like you're right here and they just can't, they're not aware, there's no awareness of you. And though you're surrounded by people, you have that sense of not being surrounded by people. Because even the folks that come out of the woodwork that have experienced something very similar, that's why I said they're non-comparable. Because how they felt about it, how they dealt with it and all that is going to be completely different than me most likely. One of the most helpful things I experienced was people that were around me that, and they didn't say anything. They were just there. I wasn't looking for advice. I didn't need everyone to come. Well, the first couple days I probably did, but, you know, they want to come do your laundry. They want to come clean your house. They want to cook you every meal. That's all great. But the ones that just sat and were just with me, I found the most beneficial. Because remember, people, they have great intentions and they do mean well, and sometimes they just say stupid crap. And just smile and nod and say thank you, and I would prefer if you would just sit here with me. (laughs) And in those moments, they ain't going to tell you no. The second part that I learned, major part, and again, this is maybe just for me, but... I found that sympathy from others to be much more addictive than anything else I've, I've experienced. Because though they mean well, it is extraordinarily enabling. And we can find ourselves in a bad place with all that. There's a, there's a big difference between wanting validation and needing it. For wanting sympathy and needing it. It was to the point with me that I actually had to move out of my... Uh, I was living at my mom's at that time because we lost everything in the whole process. And um, I know me just well enough to know that if I didn't leave, then a lot of things that I had to do that I wouldn't do. I knew the only way for me to do those things was to put myself in a situation to where there was no one else that could do it for me. So I scooped up the kids and got a place and I was the one that had to do the laundry. I was the one that had to clean the house. I'm the one that has to pay the bills. I had to put myself in the position to where I was the one that had to do it. Some of y'all might be more disciplined in that place than I am, but I knew me well enough to say, if I stay here, I will fall into that enablement. And I won't want to do it, and I will get resistant, and I will get complacent, and the process will be much harder later. And how to make that decision in the midst of depression. But I also knew if I had enough time and enough um, license to just lay in a bed, that that was going to become something I didn't want it to be also. So I did what I thought I needed to do, and that was put myself in a situation to where 
you, if you don't get up, your kids go hungry. So I had to add some extra motivators to myself. Because again, I had to be with me, but I also couldn't not be there. And I think that it was a good decision for me because I think it helped keep me a little bit grounded to where I didn't get too lost up here in my head. And I didn't, I didn't get too lost here in my heart because I had other things that kind of kept me at least engaged in some sort of life, right? Um, and again, we, our perspectives are weird. I thought I was doing pretty good. I look back on it now and there's a bunch of stuff that I was a dad gonna mess about and didn't see or realize at the time. And I think that's another part of grief is that the longer you go, the more you're going to realize. But I would like to say that most of what you're going to realize is going to be for your benefit if, if you're willing to address it and change it if needed. Because though I was doing all this stuff for my kids, largely I was absent. And during the time, I believed that I wasn't. And I look back now, and yeah, I was. And my wife and I, bringing two families together, and their loss and our loss and all that kind of stuff, we're seeing some of the residual effects of our states. Slowly creeping out. So we're highly structured, and we have certain things because we want that structure there because they need it. And keeping structure with kids sucks. <laughs> it sucks. It is hard. And they are way more stubborn than you are. And they will play that game and they will wear you out because they want victory. <laughs> they want their way. And that just is what it is. So it's difficult, but we have to. Because we understand some of the things at least for me, I know some of the things that I did not do that may, are making it harder now. So I'd rather be hard now. Because when, when they're my age or in their 20s and that kind of deal, like I want them to be doing better than I am, than I was at their age. And that's not by providing everything for them. That's by structure. That's going to be by... Understanding actions and consequences, all these things that we're trying to do that they might not like us for. They'll thank us later. Right. Because there's a bunch of stuff that I used to be mad at my mom about that I am so grateful for now. Ridiculously grateful, grateful for now. But then I hated it. So you get all the kickback, you get all the screaming and the fighting. But it's going to be that way too coming out of grief when, it, when, you're, when addressing your own life. You're going to find yourself kicking and screaming. You're going to find yourself highly resistant. You're going to find that some things, easy, simple things, are ridiculously hard to do. Because in a way you feel like you're facing things you don't feel as if you're ready to face. The problem is, is that they're not going to face themselves. And we can try to kick it further down the road, but it's always looming in front of our face, right? And so we're always aware of it. 
So my, when my wife passed, it was October 31st, 2019. My dad and her shared a birthday. They had the same birthday. My dad passed this year two days before she passed. And my grandmother and everyone, I got unanimously pretty much chosen to handle all the affairs. And all that same stuff came right back up. But because I learned some stuff, because some of my what us became what nows, I did what I needed to do because I knew if I didn't, it ain't going to get done. I have to do it. I had this short time period to do it. I had to arrange the funerals, the same funeral home that we had my wife's service at. You know? So, like, two funerals within two years, the funeral home actually gave me a coupon for the next time. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Because <laughs> I'm a good customer. But because of what I went through then and what I allowed myself to learn through it, I was able to handle this significantly better now. And there's lots of my dad and I didn't have the best relationship and all that kind of thing. We weren't close, very close. And a lot of stuff that I, I guess, wasn't aware of or hadn't dealt with had come up. But again, knowing myself well enough, I was able to handle all that. And I didn't have to really go through all that in the midst of. But when it came up, I had to let it. And again, my wife now in our communication was aware and was talking to me and was every bit of the support I needed to be vulnerable to do all those things, right? Once again, it was my dad. Sucked. Sucked to lose him. Then I started going down all the what ifs and I should have spent more time there. I was aware of some things that some other family members weren't aware of and all that type of deal. And I had to stop myself again and say, well, what are you going to do next time? You have to look at the people around you and decide in what capacity you're going to appreciate them. And if you're going to let other things, superficial things, get in the way. One of my favorite pastors always says, never let matter more what doesn't matter most. And life happens and we get upset at work and we, we get discontent or disgruntled in some form of life and that well, we give it so much precedence, so much value, when every, literally everything you're thankful for a lot of times is sitting right in front of you. And we have this mindset, especially as addicts, to only consider what it is we do not have. And we're constantly addressing everything by our lack. Trying desperately to get things. On the grind. If I can get successful, then maybe. That's saying I don't have enough to yet be satisfied. And that is the addict mind. I have to do more to get more. When really you're not even beginning from the place of what it is you have. 
How do I protect it? How do I nourish it? How do I grow it? How do I build steadily so that it is strong and lasting? But you don't understand, man. If I could just get these deals, I had all this money, and I can give everyone what they want. Sometimes giving, we want to provide for our families in, in an amazing way, all of us. But what if that's not providing what they need? One of my favorite phrases, I once knew a man so poor that all he had was money. What does providing actually look like? What is, what is, what is success? What do you believe success is? Are you doing what you believe is successful? Or are you trying to be successful according to a different definition? And you feel like if you can finally get there, then you'll find fulfillment in these things. I promise you it's not there. Until you realize you have enough, you'll never have enough. Until you can be content and satisfied in the state that you're currently in and learn how to build from there, everything else is just fleeting. And it's, it's right there, and it's the carrot on the stick. You just can't quite reach it. And you're, it is so easy to have this mess up of any kind and feel like such a failure because you're not even considering what it is you already have and how successful you already are. Everyone take a deep breath. You understand how lucky you are? I know you know. Have breath in your lungs? Just a thought. That's a trivial thing, but some of us need to start at that point. The fact that I'm here is enough. And then you can ask yourself, what now? You can't get to a certain point and then begin to build yourself. You start building yourself where you are. And you take time, you take consideration, you love the people around you. Be meaningful. I'd rather be meaningful than successful. I would prefer at my funeral that my kids would say, he loved me so much. They don't ever have to grow up questioning that. Like a lot of us have had to. He was there. His ears worked. He listened. He made changes. He admitted that he was wrong. He spent every day trying to get better. Rather than pissing and moaning and complaining about all the stuff that's not going his way. That's what I'd prefer to hear. Grief has taught me that. As terrible as it is, as much as it hurts, it'll be a very good teacher if you let it. The pain you're in right now, the cravings, the skin crawling, all of it is a good teacher if you let it. 
Stop considering it your burden and start letting it teach you something. Stop feeling like you have this massive disadvantage in your life when you have a greater opportunity to learn than a lot of other people do. You've been in situations you shouldn't have been in. That means you have knowledge you shouldn't have. Right? Knowledge or experience? Both. Because even if you did something the wrong way, you have experience of how to do it the right way because you know not to do it that way again. You've been in situations other people haven't had to been in or be in. So when you look around, you can have a determination of your situation and know if you need to get out. A lot of people don't know those kinds of things. The wealth and knowledge in this room is unmeasurable. Just because we've been through some stuff we had no business going through. But let, let grief be your teacher. It taught me so much. I'm, I'm in the strangest of ways. I'm very grateful for it. It's still the worst thing that ever happened in my life, but I am extraordinarily grateful for it. It helps me see clearly. It helps me not get caught up in trivial things and helps me not get all emotional and butthurt if my wife isn't acting exactly the way I would prefer. Gives me a patience that I used to not have. Right? So if you've taken loss, let yourself learn from it. And then when you get out of here, you can look at your family and you can actually see them. You can look at your spouse that you had problems with and you can just look at them through all the problems and just see them and be appreciative. And you can get over the trivial nonsense that doesn't mean anything. Nitpicking their every move, not even considering yourself in the moment. Wanting to solve problems rather than save face. It's a good thing, but it is terrible to go through. It doesn't have to keep you in a place forever. It can bring you to a new place, a much better place. But it's walking on razor blades, man. It's terrible. Does anyone have questions or comments? Any burning desires? Any burning desires? No? All right. <laughs>